0: I do. Bacon for breakfast. Bacon for lunch. Bacon for dinner. I've even had bacon on dessert, and it was delicious. Ham sandwiches. Barbecue. Being in eastern North Carolina, barbecue. I could do without the vinegar sauce, but you can get on me for that later. I'm from the western part of the state, but we still eat barbecue over there, too. Shrimp. Oysters, that's a part of our culture and our context here in eastern North Carolina. I don't know that you can legitimately consider yourself an eastern North Carolinian if you don't eat or enjoy or wish you could eat or enjoy any of those things. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, as Christians who say that we're following the living and true God, the God who we would say is the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, can we eat those things? Can we legitimately enjoy them without displeasing our God? Because there's a lot of rules and and laws in the Old Testament that forbid eating those things, that would consider them unclean would render one who, who would come into contact with them unclean and unable to, be, to encounter God or to be used by God. What about circumcision? We have seen that uh, as we were going through uh, Genesis way early in our plant, that to not be circumcised would render one uh, cut off and outside of God's visible people. We've seen in Acts already that by not being circumcised, you can't enter the gathered assembly of God's people. Are we in error for not requiring that? For not asking that very personal question when you come to a a membership interview here of requiring that to be a member here of Harbor Presbyterian Church? By not doing that, are we offending our God and violating His purposes and His will for us? These are very important questions for us to understand. Um, As we look and we dig into Acts this morning, we're going to see that this question and how uh, Gentiles or non-ethnic Jews are brought into the kingdom and to the people of God is a very, very, very big question. Um, in fact, the, the account that we're reading uh, in, in Acts today will be repeated multiple times in the book. It has implications that carry out through the rest of the book that bring in lots of conflict and questions both within the people of God, outside of the people of God. You venture outside of Acts and start reading the books that follow after. The letters written by Saul, uh, also known as Paul, that we encountered a couple of weeks ago, most of his letters involve this question of how Gentiles can be brought into the kingdom of God and whether we need to require continuing to practice these food laws and these ritual purity laws. What do we do? Very, very important questions because most of us gathered here today would be considered Gentiles. What does God think of us? Are we uh, legitimately his people? Let's uh, look together. We're in Acts chapter 10. Um, Remember, Acts is a book written by a man named Luke who was a historian, um, a superb historian, very accurate for uh, the time and place when he was writing. We can see that what he's giving us is eyewitness accounts and um, testimony that he's compiled. And he's writing to a guy named Theophilus, a Gentile, and he's writing to him that he might have a certainty concerning the things that are taught. That Theophilus might know is he really, truly, fully a member of the people of God by trusting and hoping in Jesus? This plays into Theophilus' questions and ours. Um, and so this morning we're looking at uh, chapter 10 and the first part of chapter 11 as we read this uh, uh, encounter that Peter has with a Gentile. Peter is a a Jewish uh, follower of Jesus who's been uh, designated as one of um, uh, Jesus' appointed um, uh, spokespeople. And uh, he's encountering Cornelius, who is a a Gentile, a Roman centurion. So let's pick up in uh, Acts chapter 10. If you're following along in one of the Bibles there in your seats, this is on page 918. So let's hear the word of the Lord. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop at about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance, and he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, uh, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, and there came a voice from him up to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well-spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them then to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he had called together his relatives and close friends. I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in the house, in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging at the house of Simon, a tanner, by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with Him after He rose from the dead. And He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that He is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To Him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. While Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers among Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and all was drawn up into, again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his, the angel stand in his house and say, Send a Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and your whole, all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the words of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as He gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank You for this word We thank you that uh, you have given us uh, this true, accurate account of what Jesus is doing in the world. Uh, We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would apply the the living and active word of God uh, to the hearts and minds of your people. um, That we would rest in Jesus more and follow him as our king. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Last week, there was an article in the the Daily Advance uh, talking about how uh, some people are getting upset um, uh, about how the Army is training, evaluating, and approving uh, some of their special forces, guys, the the Green Berets. Um, It seems that over the past couple of years, they've changed uh, some of the, the qualifications and the way that they're going about their training um, and how they, they decide who is going to be admitted into and be a full member of the Green Berets and, and who, will, who will not. Um, some of the requirements they've, they've taken away. Uh, others, they've changed the order of how it's going to be done. So, some of it happens in the context of all of the, these big weed-out, hard, difficult uh, trials that tons of people get kicked out of until this elite group is brought together. Um, and uh, and some of the, the, the older guys who went through it uh, the way that it used to be are, are being very critical of these this, this new way that they're they're qualifying admitting and um, uh, approving these guys as being green berets and they're they're upset they think that the that the standard is being lowered that the only reason they're doing it is because they want to boost their numbers and and it's uh, Um, It's kind of diluting the quality of the Green Berets. And it has the potential of compromising the mission that they have been called to. The people in charge would argue that there's other things at play and they're not doing that. That the, the, the context of where they're engaging in the world has changed. And so the requirements are changing. But it doesn't change the fact that some people remember and think back about what was required for them. And how they see now and think the standard is being lowered. The mission is suffering. And these people might not deserve to be members of this group, this chosen, select, set-apart group called the Green Berets. The same same question is going on here. Are the standards being lowered? Uh, Is Peter and some of these other guys, are they just just seeking to boost their numbers by letting these Gentiles in to the people of God? Uh, uh, Will this compromise and jeopardize the mission that the holy chosen people of God have been set apart for? Uh, it's important for us to, to, in in order to understand the the objections that that arise and the the issues of why this is in here, is for us to to go back and and review and understand what it means, this clean and unclean, the uh, holy and common. Some of you are here when we worked our way through the book of Leviticus uh, last year. Um, and seeing that this was a, there were lots of rules and laws that, that, that had to do with this. Certain animals and foods were considered uh, clean. Others were considered unclean. Certain animals were uh, considered clean and therefore acceptable to be offered and in, uh, in sacrifice or offering to God. Some were unclean and were for, forbidden. Uh, you being a member of God's people, there were certain foods you could eat. Or animals or or things that you could come in contact with and still remain clean and be able to have access to worship and engage in uh, the worship of God's people and other things that if you came in contact with rendered you unclean and therefore you did not have access fully to all of uh, the fellowship and the network of relationships with God and with his people. Um, uh, you see, clean things were uh, what were required to have access to God. Um, God was seeking to communicate something to his people. It wasn't just about, it's not like God just doesn't like shrimp and doesn't want you to like shrimp either. Um, it's not that God doesn't like pigs and doesn't want them offered to him as just arbitrarily. These rules, these clean and unclean rules were were given to God's people to to shape and form their identity. To shape and under and form not just their own identity as God's people, but who to teach them something about this God that has called them, that has saved them, um, and that is ruling and caring for them. Um, you see, every time they ate, every time they ate a meal, they had to consider what they could eat and what they couldn't eat. And that should have caused them to think, why am I choosing and having to figure out which food to eat or not eat? Oh, it's because the Holy God has called me to be a distinct member of His people in this world. And therefore, as I eat, it's to remind me of my chosen and special status as a member of God's people and that we eat differently because we're to be different in the world. Why? Just because Gentiles have a bad diet and they don't cook well? No. Is it because you as Jews are better? your food's better, your ethnicity is better, and that you're superior to these other people? No. It's to remind all of us that if we really look deep in our hearts, we are all unclean and do not deserve access to God. But in His mercy and His grace, He has provided a way for us to engage and encounter Him through His provision. And and it's to remind us that that as God's people, we've been chosen and saved to be different for the sake of of His mission that the nations would know of the glory and the righteousness and the grace of the God of Israel who saves sinners who come to Him. The same thing was true of circumcision. It was applied to, uh, to a male. It, would, uh, it was required in order to be a part of the assembly of God's people, but it was demonstrating and communicating something, not just physically, but about your heart. You see, blood must be shed. Uncleanness must be removed if you're going to be a member of God's people. You need to rely on the provision that he gives for you. And it was to point you not just to think about the physical act, but to look into your heart. That's why Moses pairs it up and says, don't just circumcise your flesh, circumcise your heart as well. These things were forming their identity, their practice, who they were in the world, who their God was and how they related to him. These were extremely important and a part of what it meant to be an Israelite. What it meant to be a part of the people of God. So much so, did you notice what Peter says when he he shows up at Cornelius' house and and he he says to them as as he comes in in verse 28, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. This actually doesn't come from the Old Testament. This comes from the, the teachings and the traditions of the, the rabbis, or the Pharisees, and the, the religious leaders. Because they thought it was so important to follow these rules and keep their identity as being this separate, distinct people of God, that they would create other rules to make sure that there is uh, put a big fence and a big barrier to make sure we don't cross and violate any of these, because it's so important that we're the holy, clean, distinct people of God. We're going to make sure everybody keeps these rules. And so they made sure we're not even going to associate with you. We're not going to visit you. We're not going to eat with you, unclean people out there. Uh, so you can begin to understand why in verse 11, uh, chapter 11, verse uh, uh, 1 through 3, this is what comes up in light of what we've seen Peter has just done. Notice what they say. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party. So when you read that, think Jewish believers who are circumcised or just circumcised, believing believers at that point. So when they hear about it, they criticized Peter saying you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Think about what's happened up to this point so far. You know, as they're thinking, all right, Peter, you know, before this, you've been teaching and telling us that that the temple is really obsolete now. There's no need for it, no need for the sacrifices, no need for us to even go there under the other to uh, than to evangelize the, the Jews who aren't trusting in Jesus. Jesus is the true temple where we encounter God. And so, all right, Peter, when you say that, that, that that's obsolete, we get it. We can maybe see that in our past. There's been times when us as the people of God haven't had the temple. It's been destroyed. So we can carry on our Jewish identity without having that. But then, you know, Peter, the, the Ethiopian eunuch. Well, all right. At least he was seeking to follow God's laws and he was seeking to follow our God. And I mean, he probably practiced the food laws, but he just physically wasn't able to be circumcised. So the fact that he was brought into the people of God, all right, that's okay. And plus, he was way out in the country and he was on his way back to Ethiopia, or back to Cush anyway. And so we're not going to be able to really eat with him and interact with him at all. So that really doesn't concern us. The Samaritans, we don't really consider them Israelites, but here they come and they, they're starting to have faith in Jesus. You're bringing them in to be a full member of the people of God. Well, they practice the food laws too, and they're circumcised. So, I guess that's not really that big a deal. But, but the Gentiles. The Gentiles, Peter? Not just any Gentile, but this is a Roman Gentile who, who is part of the army, who has occupied and controlled our nation. Sure, he's been generous and praised and seeks to fear our God, but but he doesn't follow the dietary laws. He has not been circumcised. Peter, you're, you're going too far at this point. You're just seeking to, to boost these numbers. It makes me wonder if all of these numbers we've been reading in Luke's account up to this point have just been uh, there so that you can sh- sneak this in so you can get more people added to the numbers, that you're lessening the standards so that you can bring these Gentiles in who you're not going to require them to practice the food laws. You're not going to require circumcision of them. Peter, this is too much. You're lessening the The standard you are diluting what it means to be the people of God and you are potentially jeopardizing our identity and our mission. If you bring these people in to be a part of the people of God, because of what you're practicing now, I mean, Peter, you're eating with them. Do you not realize we've seen this earlier in Acts? What was the response of the people coming to know Christ? They were dedicating themselves to, to the, the breaking of bread, to the teaching of the apostles, to the fellowship, to gathering and meeting in one another's houses and sharing food. Peter, but you can't bring these people in as full members. You've baptized them, you're, you're telling them that. You stayed extra, it tells with them in verse 48. Then he, he asked, they asked him to, to remain for many days, and he did. That's why they're upset. You're expecting us to do the same thing? You want us to eat with these Gentiles as if they're of equal status with us and the people of God? Peter, whoa, whoa, whoa. Bud, you have gone way too far. This cannot be pleasing to God. Notice, Peter has trouble with it too. In verse 9-16, through you know, he he has this dream. And God is communicating and He's speaking to Peter. But Peter argues with him. Take, Peter. Kill. Rise up. Eat. No, 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 no. I've never done that. I have never eaten anything common or unclean. I've maintained, I've understood, this is what it looks like to follow you. God tells him again. He tells him again. It took three times for God to communicate and begin to drill this down into Peter's Mind for him to comprehend it, much less if we look back at the Gospels, we see that Jesus was already teaching the disciples this this isn 't new news to peter he 's just having a hard time wrestling with it, and then we read that after he has this he 's continuing to he 's perplexed by it he 's thinking through it. What does this mean? What are the implications? In fact, as he goes forward he he eats with them uh, he He says that I am not to consider anyone, it says in verse 28, that I should not call any person common or unclean. Uh, Later in in chapter 11, if you notice in verse 12, it says the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. It's interesting to see what Peter's doing. If we were to flip back in Leviticus, all this terminology of clean, unclean, uh, distinguishing, uh, making a distinction comes up. Uh, as it's talking, as Leviticus is talking about um, how God's people are to relate and interact with Him, and how uh, God's uh, priests and teachers are to instruct and guide the people about what it means to be holy. Listen to what uh, what it says in chapter 10 of Leviticus. This is speaking to Aaron the high priest. Leviticus 10:10, 10, 10. "You are to distinguish between the holy and the common." and between the clean and the unclean, and you are to teach the people of God all the statutes that Yahweh has spoken to them by Moses. You see what Peter's doing here? Peter is not just saying the the religious traditions of the rabbis and the Pharisees are out of line and we no longer need to practice those. Peter is also saying we are not going to practice anymore These rules and these regulations that God himself gave to us in the law. Peter is saying the time has changed. Something different is occurring and we are not going to practice life as God's people this way anymore. It's no longer required. Far from lessening the standard. What Peter is beginning to say and communicate and teach is this is what the mission and the calling of the people of God was always about. And this is the next step in us beginning to fulfill it and move forward. And it involves putting aside these laws and these rules from the Old Testament and bringing the Gentiles in as full members of the people without requiring them to do these laws We can play in the street. Go get your bikes. Go get your skateboards. Get your skates. Get your scooters. We can play in the street. Linux, Luna, Ava, Macy, in the street. This was heard in our neighborhood two weeks ago. An invitation, a statement, a celebration that that we that the kids on our street were going to be allowed and encouraged by other kids to do something that had been forbidden on our street for as long as these kids have been alive. You do not play in the street. You do not go close to the street. Your toes don't go in the street, much less your skates, your bike, your scooter. Wow, such craziness. Why such a a command and an invitation to go play in the street? You better make sure that when Beckett yells this out, that it is not just Beckett making up his mind to invite the rest of the kids to play out in the middle of the street. You need to make sure that this is, is something that is coming from someone with authority, like his daddy or his mommy. Because there's big implications when such a vital and important rule has been put aside and you're being invited to not practice it anymore. What's going on here? Is this just Peter? Is Peter just all about pragmatics? Of course, if we ever hope to get the Gentiles to buy into this... We got to get rid of these food laws, guys. We definitely got to get rid of this circumcision thing because these Roman guys are not going to want to have anything to do with this. Is it just Peter coming up with this stuff on his own? Maybe maybe it was this. Maybe Peter was just hungry. D- did you notice when he was up on the it says it was about the 6th hour and he became hungry and wanted something to eat? And while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. Maybe he was hungry and delusional and he smelled some good food uh, and began to think, man, you know what? God, God was, God was wrong. I know what I'll tell everybody. God gave me a vision that we can eat bacon. (laughs) Is this just Peter coming up with this stuff? We need to know. Because this, these rules, these regulations before rendered one either cut off from access to God and His people or being brought in. Notice, this is not just Peter coming up with this on his own. This is not Peter just being hungry and misled. This is something that comes from God. Notice how important it is that Luke communicates this. How many times when I was reading through it, did everybody involved have to recount what happened multiple times? Peter shared it a couple. Luke narrates it. Peter shares it. Cornelia shares it later on. Peter's going to share it again. Why? It is vitally necessary that we see that this is something that Peter did not just invent on his own, but that it came from Jesus himself. Notice how much it, this comes up in verse three of chapter ten. Cornelius has a vision, and an angel of God appears. In verse verses nine through sixteen, the vision that Peter has is one that comes from God. In verse nineteen, uh, as the the messengers from Cornelius show up, the Spirit says, "Behold." Uh, Three men are looking for you. Rise and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. The Holy Spirit is involved in what is going on. In verse 22, when Cornelius recounts what has happened, he says, a holy angel directed me. In verse 28, Peter says, God has shown me that I should not call any person unclean or common. In verse 33, Cornelius says we are here gathered in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. In verse 44, hearing the message, the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles who are present and hearing this. And the gift of the Holy Spirit is described as being poured out on them. The response is that they are speaking in tongues. Remember what we've seen. This isn't a common thing. Every time the people receive the Holy Spirit, they don't speak in tongues. We've seen that it happens in in particular places and at times where God is doing something new and it's to uh, uh, authenticate um, and affirm the message that is, uh, what is happening, that it is from Him. Here it is happening. The Holy Spirit is is poured out on these people and it's authenticated with these languages that are being spoken. Um, Not just gibberish languages, known languages, but here it's being done, demonstrating that this is something that has come from God Himself. Uh, um, And then, in fact, as Peter recounts it and as the people who have heard the testimony in the end of chapter 11, um, they say in, in verses 17 and 18, if then God gave the same gift to them as He gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Peter is saying what is happening here is God's work. And then the, the, those of the circumcision party who were there, they hear it. They fall silent. We were wrong. And they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is the work of God. God is revealing and communicating something to his people about what is going on. That leads us to this question then. If Peter's not guilty then and responsible for lessening the standards of God, then maybe God is. Maybe God is lessening his standards. What does that mean for us to think about our holy God lessening these standards of of holiness, of righteousness, of godliness? Something that we see all the scriptures teach is that God is perfectly holy and good. What does it mean that he's saying, no longer do you need to be clean like this to come into my presence? No longer you need to be uh, made clean and holy through these regulations that I've put aside. Is God violating his justice and his righteousness? No. Look, look in verse 15. Do you notice what it was that God says? In chapter 10. What God has made clean, do not call common. Again, it says it in chapter 11, verse 9, when Peter is is recounting it again. What God has made clean, do not call common. Common. He's not just speaking of the food. Peter shows us that in verse 28 when he says, Call no people common or unclean. God is doing something at this point to where he is making people clean. He's not saying, You don't need to be clean anymore to come into my presence. God is saying, I have made them clean. Apart from these laws, apart from these regulations God has given us, we can play in the street. You know why that was okay two Saturdays ago? Something changed. Something significant changed on the 900 block of West Church Street. So that it was now okay to ignore the rule from the past and live in light of this new freedom. What had changed? We put barriers up at the end of each end of our street to block off traffic for our block for four lovely hours because something else was in place something that was providing protection, something that was setting our street apart, it was now okay for the kids to go out in the street and play with their toes, with their skates, with their bikes, with their scooters. Something changed. Something else was in place that rendered the old rule no longer necessary. What about here? What has changed What has God not compromising His holiness, not compromising His righteousness, what has changed that enables people to be made clean apart from following these rules and these laws? Notice in verse 34 to 35, how does one become clean? Well, we might could read this and think. Notice what Peter says. He enters Cornelius' house. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. That must be it. That is how you're made clean. If you are a good person, if you follow God's rules and His laws and all these other aspects of your life, then God will look on you with favor and say, Ah, now you are can be acceptable to me. You can come into my presence. Because is that, is that not the way Cornelius was described at the beginning? In verse 2 of chapter 10. A devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms. That means he was generous with his money, helping the poor. A very good thing. And he prayed continually to God. I mean, if we're going to look at a guy who's righteous and who's good... I mean, apart from all the food regulation laws, Cornelius pretty much fits the bill. But, but notice what Peter doesn't say to him. Hey, Cornelius, since you're such a devout guy who fears God, who gives generously to the poor, and who prays a lot, good news, you're now clean. The standards have been changed and you can be made acceptable to God. He doesn't say that. That is not what verse 36 says. Look at what it says in verse 36 Every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right, is acceptable to him. For as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You see, even Cornelius. Needs the message of the good news of Jesus. One is not made clean through what you do. One is made clean through what Jesus has done. That is what has changed. Notice what Peter says in verse, uh, down in chapter uh, 11, when, uh, in verse 13 and 14, when he tells Cornelius what he's going to say. And he told us how he had uh, seen the angel stand in his house and say, or this is what the angel says, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. The message was not your righteousness. The message was not your giving good, giving alms and praying. The message was Jesus. Cornelius, this faithful religious guy, was not a part of God's people until he heard the good news or the message of Jesus and he was saved and made clean. You see, what God has been saying and communicating through Acts has been there is only one way to be made right with him. Uh, actually, that's really not entirely accurate. It's... It's not a new message at all. It just didn't pop up in Acts. It it didn't just pop up in the Gospels. Do you you notice what Peter said? This, this is a very old, old message. In verse forty-three of chapter eleven, or chapter ten, Peter says to him, speaking of Jesus, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. All of the prophets the whole time have been pointing to and declaring the good news that Jesus was the one who needed to come, who needed to suffer, who needed to die to make his people clean and to fully set them apart. That means when Moses was writing all these rules and laws and regulations, it was pointing to Jesus. This means that when David was prophetically seeing and knowing the work that God would do, it was pointing to Jesus This means that when Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and all the minor prophet guys were talking about what God would do in the world and among the Gentiles, it was about Jesus. There has always and only been one way by which God's people are saved and made a part of his people. And that is through trusting and hoping in his provision of one who would die on your behalf. And that is Jesus. That doesn't matter if you are ethnically Jewish or you are a Gentile. Think back on what we've seen so far. Why, was, why, were, uh, baptized, or why were circumcised Jews brought in to be members of the people of God? It was because they were circumcised Jews who believed in Jesus. An Ethiopian, uncircumcised, who believed in Jesus is brought in to be a full member of the people of God. Samaritans who were circumcised but who believed in Jesus were brought in and become full members of the people of God. Here, Gentiles who believe in Jesus, uncircumcised, not following the dietary laws, they receive the mark of baptism. They're fully brought in to be full members of the people of God because they've had faith in Jesus. And what did we see earlier on? That circumcised Jews who reject Jesus are cut off. You're no longer a part of God's chosen, holy, set-apart people. What's the difference? Jesus. You see, without Jesus, you can't become a part of the member. You can't be a member of the people of God. And really what we're beginning to see here is that you need Jesus and only Jesus. If you take Jesus and you try to add something to Jesus... You can't be a part of the member of the people of God. That's what Peter's saying here. It's not righteousness with these works of the law. It is trusting and hoping in Jesus. Righteousness, acceptance with God is now being demonstrated and shown to be possible apart from the law. Why? Because Jesus has fulfilled it. We have been made full members, the people of God. There is only and always been one way to be made right with God, to be full member of his people, It's faith and hope in Jesus. Really, the other thing that we can say is that there is only and always been one holy, chosen, beloved, set apart, gathered and sent people of God that has been those throughout space and time and history whether you're a Jew or you're a Gentile whether you you followed the laws or not if you are hoping and looking in Jesus to Jesus his life his death his resurrection his return for you you can be made a full member of the people of God loved by him sent by him saved and redeemed by him do you believe that do you believe, those of you who are trusting and hoping in Jesus, that you're really a full, a full member of God's people? You're not a random neighborhood kid. God doesn't have foster children. You are His fully beloved and adopted children if you are hoping in Christ. You do not have to do anything else but hope and look to Jesus and what He has done. Do you know Jesus this way? Or are you thinking right now that you just need to be a good person and live religiously and have some sort of faith and God will accept you based on that? This passage and the rest of the whole Bible would say, no, you're wrong. Unless you too look and hope to Jesus, it is only through Him that you will find peace and acceptance and that God will make you clean. That God will grant you repentance is what it says at the end of chapter Uh, uh, chapter 11 verse 18 the work of God in our hearts and our lives this is the good news of the gospel let's pray Heavenly Father we thank you for the gospel we thank you for the work that you're doing through Jesus we thank you that the gospel is true we thank you that we are your people that you love us because of what Jesus has done we pray that as we hear more of the work that you are doing that Christ has done as we hear the gospel, as we experience the gospel, that we would rest secure as your people, hoping in you, trusting in you, looking to you. Give us confidence. Give us assurance. And use us to participate in the mission that you've saved all your people to do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, as